Will you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts? And will you turn with me, please, to the 16th chapter? We are going to take a look at a life that has been changed by the grace of God Almighty. And we're going to see a dramatic change. And we're going to see four reasons why his change, the jailer's change, was so authentic, so genuine. When Paul addressed the jailer after the jailer came to him and the earthquake had occurred and and their their chains had come loose and doors were open and, and the jailer thought that everyone was going to escape, which meant that he would have lost his life if they had left. When Paul said, do yourself no harm, we are all here. When the jailer came to him, he said in verse 30, remember, after he brought them out, he asked them, sir, What must I do to be saved? I mentioned to you last week, he was asking them basically, what do I need to do to be like you? Because as we saw last week, it said that the the prisoners, as well as the jailer, were listening intently to Paul and Silas sing and pray and give hymns unto the Lord. And so they knew that there was something unique, something different, about these men. And so when the jailer had the opportunity, he says, what must I do to be saved? And do you remember last week we said, which was to me such a wonderful place in Scripture, Paul, knowing nothing of this man's past, still gave him the the reason, the authority, the ability to be saved has nothing to do with his past. Paul looked him in the eye and said in verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. You and your household. In other words, this salvation is not just for you because I'm speaking to you. It is available to everyone. You and your household. And again, Paul knew nothing of his household. He just knew that the the place of salvation was, was ready and available to any and every one of us who ask. Then something very interesting took place that we didn't get into last week. And let's read, please, from verse 32 to the end of this chapter, verse 40. It says, They spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of night He washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now, therefore, come out, go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans. They have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and they appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. 
And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. I want you to note a little shift of thought at the very end of this chapter. Again, Luke leaves the party of Timothy and Paul and Silas. We understand that by all of a sudden Luke is saying they left. Note the verse 40. They went out of the prison. They entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. The reason that's so important is that commentators believe that it was Luke who stayed back in Philippi. It was Luke who stayed back to make sure that the church that began there through Lydia and this jailer and others, his household and others, Lydia's household, who came to know and trust and believe in the Lord, and all the other people, Luke stayed back to help formulate the church. But what Paul did all along, I have said to you that I believe that Paul is just as feisty as could could be. I believe that with all my heart. But that, I don't think now, was the reason that Paul said, I'm not leaving until I talk to the chief magistrates, because they beat us without a trial. They put us into prison, and we're Roman citizens. Here's what I think Paul is doing, and all the commentators agree. Paul is setting up the church when he leaves Philippi so that the chief magistrates will not come in and, uh, and, and uh, kind of harm what is happening there for the cause of Christ. Paul is setting the stage for the church and he leaves Luke behind to make sure that that takes place comfortably and in order. Remember we have said over and over and over again that the church has been set up with a purpose in mind. The purpose is, as we read in Acts chapter 2, that we want to have people Godly people, a part of our church, who are continually devoted to the things of God. And we mentioned to you what those four things are. And tonight we're going to do two of the four. Well, actually three, all of them. All of them. We need to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. That we will do. We will always do. We need to be continually devoted to fellowship with one another, encouraging one another. We need to be continually devoted to having communion. And communion is essential because communion is the thing that brings remembrance of God into your heart and your being and your lifestyle. And tonight we are going to take this time to have communion so that you and I can reflect upon what took place perhaps last week in your life. The last thing is the church ought to be continually devoted to prayer. Last week we had in each service, I don't know how many because... You remember, if you, if you were here last week, we had an altar call. And I was up front, and Wes did the altar call, and, and I was told 30 or 40 people came forward. And that was true in almost every service we had. And uh, because of that, I thought, whoa, this would be a good day to have communion. This would be a good time to remember what the Lord has done for us and in and through our hearts. Especially, I mean, of course, all of us, but especially those of us who came forward that we could remember what it was, what we left at the altar, and remember the goodness of our God. And so midway through this service, we're going to have communion. I want you to prepare your hearts for that. 
Now let's pray first and let's get into this message, please. Dear Father, would you please do us the very greatest honor, and that is to open up our eyes and open up our hearts and our minds so that we might, dear Father, behold wonderful things from your law. Thank you, dear Father, that you have given us the Word of God so that we might understand you even deep, more deeply, know what it is that we are to act like, uh, who we are to become like, and what our lives ought to look like. And so, Father, move me aside, I beg of you, please, that we might not notice the speaker as much as we just notice the words that we have read, the wonders of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and this jailer, oh, my Father, this wonderful jailer who you saw fit to save. And Lydia, Father, in this community, this dear lady who is a seller of purple fabric, uh, probably well-to-do, and you chose to save her as well. And so you have done for us, Father, for those of us who have trusted in your Son. You have given us everlasting life so that we, like this jailer, might rejoice so that we, like him, would be extremely joyful because of what you have done in and through our lives. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. You want to note something that took place in the life of this jailer. In verse 33, take a look at it again. There are terms that are used that are, are amazing in this verse. It says that he took them that very hour. That very hour he did something to them he washed their wounds and immediately he became baptized. What that shows you and me is this jailer and Paul and Silas did not waste any time about encouraging this man and his household to proclaim the change that has taken place in their lives. You'll note in verse 33, immediately it says, they made a public profession of their faith in Christ by being baptized. The jailer and his household were saved. And their salvation was genuine. And we see that by four actions that take place in verses 33 and 34. First, verse 33, the first part of the verse. He took them, it says, the jailer took them, Paul and Silas, that very hour after they have uh, been released by the earthquake, he saw them released. He was encouraged that they had not left. And so he asked them to come with him that very hour of the night and he washed their wounds. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, two verses that um, I'm going to say I put to memory and now I'm going to have to, I'll probably panic, but I, I've written down here in case I need it. Jesus says a new commandment that I have given to you, that you should love one another even as I have loved you. By this, in other words, by this love that we have for one another, all people are going to know we're disciples of His, followers of His. This is a new commandment that the Lord passed along to those who were there with Him. This commandment of love so that the expression of love would be displayed throughout the community so that all people would know 
that we're followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. That very hour of that very first night, this jailer who... Who knows what he is like? We do not get the privilege of knowing whether he was a compassionate man or not a compassionate man. But that very night, he washed the wounds of both Paul and Silas. There was a change in his life. Secondly, in that same verse, verse 33, the last half of that verse, he was immediately, they say, baptized, which baptism is simply a public identification with Jesus Christ. He immediately, he and all of his household were baptized. In other words, they say, we are willing to follow Jesus Christ no matter the cost. We will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We will be followers of him. Two very critical uh, actions taken forth by this jailer and his household. Thirdly, in verse 34, the first half of the verse, he showed them hospitality. He brought Paul and Silas into his home, and he fed them. Now, I don't know, maybe the jail was in disarray. I mean, there was an earthquake. Maybe nothing, the doors couldn't close. Maybe there was a problem. Nonetheless, he did as Lydia did the moment she became saved and was baptized. Look back, same chapter, at verse 15. Lydia, it says, when she and her household were baptized, she urged Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon them to do that. Turn with me, please, to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Hold your place here in Acts. James chapter 2 shows us the importance of, of being kind to believers, fellow believers, of showing hospitality, of caring for them in relation to our faith. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James asks a rhetorical question. The question is, what use is it, my brethren, he's talking to believers, what use is it, fellow Christian, if someone says they have faith, but they have no works? Can that faith save them? In other words, he is asking, can your faith in and of itself save you without works? Now, it's a rhetorical question because the sign of a genuine believer is to be able to to use the gifts that God has given us for His glory. And so the sign of a genuine believer is that they will want to do some kind things to other people. But note what it says here. Verse 15, it narrows it down to the family of God. If a brother or a sister, in other words, a family member in Christ, is without clothing and in need of daily food... Verse 16, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled. And yet, you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, he says, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And so once you and I have come to Christ, there is an automatic response that you and I ought to do kind things to one another when that other person is in need. 
to help them, to encourage them, to be whatever friend is needed at that moment in their lives, a brother or a sister in Christ, so as to help them. Back to Acts chapter 16. So this this jailer does this. He brought them into his home, as it says in verse 34, the first part of it, and he fed them. They needed food. In verse 34, the last part of that verse, finally, that jailer rejoiced greatly. He has now believed in God, and he saw not only himself, but everyone in his household being saved. Note it says in verse 34b, he, and the word he is not in there, but it, the implication is he rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole, whole household. Don't forget now, it was just hours earlier that this jailer was ready to do what to himself? Maybe not even hours, well, I guess maybe hours, but some time ago that evening, he wanted to kill himself thinking that they had escaped, his fate is now marked, the chief magistrates, the officials in that city are going to find him, and they're going to make him pay the same penalty that those who he was guarding was supposed to receive if they escaped. But all of a sudden now, we see him rejoicing greatly, having believed in God. He radiated, he radiated, He radiated. He shone forth the joy that comes from knowing that his sins are forgiven. Which, by the way, could only come through the grace of God. Only God could change a life like this jailer's so drastically. Wish we knew more about him. But what we do know is priceless. Would you turn with me, please, to where we are going to have communion tonight, to Psalms, verse 32, chapter 32. Psalms 32. I want you to read with me Psalms 32 because it speaks so prevalently to this jailer who has just been saved. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 32, verse 1. Watch. How blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven whose sin is covered. Think about that verse for a moment. How blessed is the person whose transgressions have been forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2, How blessed is the person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. The writer is saying... How blessed is the person who knows that their transgressions have been forgiven. How blessed is the person who knows within his heart of heart, within their spirit, there is no iniquity. There is no deceit. Now I want you to read this carefully. Because verse 3, I think is key. Some of us go about our lives as believers without the energy that we ought to be having. We're just kind of blasé all the time. I am here to say to you, it could be, it doesn't have to be, it could be that there is sin in your life that you refuse to repent from. 
There is sin in our lives that we refuse to allow God to take away because only He can take it away. Look what the psalmist writes in verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse 4, day and night, your, God's hand, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. That is a very amazing place in the Word of God. The Bible says, how blessed is the person who knows that their transgressions have been forgiven, their sins have been forgiven, in whom there is no deceit, in whom whose spirit is clean. The psalmist then writes, when I kept silent about my sin, in other words, didn't give it to the Lord, my energy, my vitality, my all that I am that was, was drained away from me, he says, I believe. It was, it was like his body, he says in verse 3, wasted away. It was groaning all day long for that release of this sin that was within him. Day and night, he says, your hand, dear God, was heavy upon me. My vitality had been taken away as like the fever heat of summer. Verse 5, but... When I acknowledge my sin to you, God, I said, I'm going to confess my transgressions unto the Lord. He says, you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Communion is a time to remember what our Lord has done for us. This jailer that we have been looking at has some definite signs that his life has been changed. He invited the group into his home. He fed them. He washed their wounds. He cared for them. And he rejoiced greatly that God had forgiven him his sins. He had the joy of the Lord. Hours before, he was going to take his life. Now he is overjoyed with the grace of God. The psalmist writes that when I kept silent about my sin, when I didn't confess my sin to you, it was like it was like the fever or heat of summer was draining away my vitality. I just didn't have the energy that I ought to have. God wants to set you free. He wants you to remember who He is and what He did for you upon the cross, that He He died on the cross so that you and I might have the forgiveness of our sin. And He shed His blood to guarantee that this new commandment, He says, that I have given to you, that you love one another, will be a part of your life. Because, He says, the way you love one another is going to be the way the world is going to recognize you as a follower of mine. And so with that in mind, Let's take a moment to, if there's any sin in your life, that just for whatever reason, you just, you just not let it go. You just not let it go. You've not asked the Lord to forgive you. Maybe, maybe it's that you've, you've asked Him to forgive you so many times before, 
and you keep going back to it that you think, ah, I'm just not going to embarrass myself nor him anymore. I'm just going to stop mentioning it. Don't do that. Go as often as you need to go to him for the forgiveness of your sin, no matter how many times you might do it. Because it is in that practice of coming to him for the forgiveness of your sins that sooner or later you'll wipe it away. So with this bread, we... Oh, first let's just pray. You guys go ahead and, and think if there's anything that you need to confess. I'll do the same. Father, we have the privilege of coming to you grace is beyond anything that we could ever imagine or hope for that you like that jailer who asked what must I do to be saved what must I do to have my sins forgiven Paul simply answered you believe just believe believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you'll be saved confess your sins to him he'll forgive you and so father with this bread that we are about to eat may we do it in remembrance of who you are so you all might take the bread and then, Father, the, the juice that we drink, may it be a, a wonderful promise of your covenant to us to forgive us our sin, to turn us into the men and women, the young people that you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Dear Father, we... Uh, we thank you for the very privileges of privilege. That is to be able to acknowledge our sin to you, not hide our sin from you. Confess it, knowing that you'll forgive us the guilt of our sin. And Father, for some of us here, I pray that you'll give us the vitality, the energy that um, is ours. That our bodies will not be silent. I mean, our bodies will not waste away. That your heavy hand upon us, that there will be forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for this time and these dear people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 16. Let's finish off the rest of this chapter. Paul is going to take care of the church now. From verses 35 to 39, the chief magistrates want to take away, wash away, all that they did wrong to Paul and Silas. But Paul will not allow that. The reason, as I've already mentioned to you, is Paul wanted to protect the church. It wasn't just that he wanted to be feisty, as I once believed. What he wanted to do was to put the church in order so that when he left, the chief magistrates would not come and try to disrupt the family of God. Now... What brought the decision, what brought the city officials and the magistrates of the decision of freeing Paul and Silas, we're not, we're not given the privilege of knowing. It's not stated. But whatever the case is, Paul and Silas were told by the jailer, you guys are free to leave. You're free. But in verse 37, as we just read a little while ago, Paul objects. And here's why. He says, 
Look at verse 37. They've beaten us in public without a trial. And we're Romans. They've thrown us into prison. And now they want to come and just send us away secretly? No, Paul says, no. Key words are found in verses 38 and 39. Paul put the fear of whomever upon these chief magistrates and the city officials. In verse 38 and 39, it says they were afraid. All of a sudden, these guys are now afraid of Paul. They're not only afraid of Paul, they come to him and they appeal. Look at verse 39. They appealed to Paul. And when he brought them out, they kept begging him, please leave our city. Get out of here. They were afraid to death of him. And so Paul, I believe, did this for one purpose alone. And that is to to set up the, the church that was just founded there in Philippi so that the city officials might leave them alone. They're all Romans. They can't do to them what they did to Paul. Paul made it crystal clear. And so they appealed to him. They begged him. They were afraid of him. And so, instead of leaving the church alone, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke must have decided together, one of us needs to stay. Who's going to stay? And more than likely, Luke says, I'll stay here in Philippi. I'll help care for this church. Because as I've already noted to you in verse 40, Luke no longer states that he is traveling with the party, with Paul and Silas and Timothy. He now says they are going, indicating that he is going to stay back. He is going to help the church take form correctly. As we've said over and over again, the church is to have an order to itself. And Luke took upon himself that that church would fall into the proper order of how a church was to be conducted. And he was going to also make sure that the city would not come in, the city officials come in, after Paul and Silas left and disrupt that newly found church. And so in verse 40, 40, it simply says, they, Paul is, I mean, Luke is writing, they went out of the prison, they entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren they encouraged them. In other words, they exhorted them. They, they encouraged them and they departed. And that was the purpose of Paul from the very beginning. He said to Barnabas, let's go off and let's see some of these places that we visited before and let's see how they're doing. And so Paul encourages them in the church as I do for you and I do for myself. Today is a, just a short message concerning the very Word of God that sets you and me free from the burden of our sin. Like the jailer, we can rejoice greatly in who we are in Christ. We can have our energy back. We can do the things that God has called us to do. Dealing with our sin. Psalms 32 Take a look at it once in a while. Get to know it. Make it your friend. Because he says, When I acknowledged my sin, you forgave me. You set me free, dear God. Dear Father, we want to thank you for the very privilege of privileges. And that is the the joy of our salvation.
that we too, like the jailer, can rejoice greatly. That we too can have the joy of, Father, our vitality as believers so that that we might, by your grace, remove your heavy hand upon us so that our vitality would not be drained away. All we need to do is acknowledge our sin to you, not hide our iniquity. Confess our sins unto you, Lord. And your promise is clear. You forgive the guilt of my sin. You set us free. And so, Lord, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for all that you do for each of us, Father in your own particular way, in your own particular fashion, how you deal with each of our lives. Each of us different individuals. Each of us, Father, need your grace. Like the jailer, may we rejoice greatly in our salvation. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Have a great, great night.